Welcome back to my podcast. Thanks for clicking to listen. It's been like two and a half months since I've posted. I just moved to Italy mid-May, so I was able to get one episode out before, you know, crazy looking for apartments and switching from Airbnb to Airbnb to moving in and unpacking and everything kind of took over and also just like finding and making friends so I don't feel lonely you know that's definitely a higher priority than releasing podcast episodes but today I am releasing one and it's a very exciting one it's with my friend Danielle who runs an amazing podcast called hashtag data femme uh, she's also known as Dikayo data on twitter and she'll spell that out for for everyone at the um at the end of this episode if you you know enjoy it which i know you will <laughs> and want to go follow her listen to her episodes that she makes all about data mainly about women in the data science world but yeah this is a super fun episode to record um i apologize for noise in the background of the episode that happens about midway through i was uh as danielle says in this episode so confident about my editing ability (laughs) not um but i thought that i'd be able to kind of edit it out because there were just some people talking in the background lowly but uh that was not the case so i hope it doesn't affect your listening pleasure too much um but without further ado here is danielle and i talking about entrepreneurship and success and motivation and a little bit about data towards the end so i hope you enjoy thank you Great. So I'm here with Danielle today, the um, what owner and maker of the Data Femme podcast. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about being your own boss and you know self-employment and entrepreneurial ventures. So um, I guess I'll just start off by asking Danielle to... Um, kind of just like introduce herself and her business. Cool. Um, Well, I am Danielle. I moved to New Orleans about four years ago. And at that time, I was operating a fashion business called AK Karani, which I'd started way back in 2011. And I operated that for a year in New Orleans, going to events, getting really hooked up in the entrepreneurial community, which was really awesome. Um, And then when I started business school, I got into data science. And so though I did not expect to make a company out of my interest in data science, I kind of expected to work at a firm, um, it ended up happening that I started up my own data science media company right after I graduated. And it's kind of cool because I always wanted to have a media company ever since I was a journalism student at Northwestern. And so everything kind of came together. Um, 
So now I've been operating Decayo Data, which is the name of the media company that owns the Data Fem podcast for a little over a year, and a lot has happened. <laughs> yeah, everything just seemed to have fallen into place, too. Do you feel like you planned for any of it, or it was just kind of like as the first opportunity in the media realm came up, you jumped on it? Well, as you know, I was working at another data science media company for a while, while I was still in school, but that did not work out. Um, There was some toxicity that I probably won't go into too much. I can do it in general, but that led me to realize how much I loved creating content about technology and data science in general. And so I kind of retaliated from Mm -hmm. that negative experience of working for that particular media company and took the good things from it to start my own um, just whole hub of content. And so, I mean, it, it did fall into place because creating blogs, creating music, creating any kind of audio or video content is something I've always done just for fun. And mm-hmm. so then I went to undergrad for it. So for me, it just is pretty exciting that I was able to combine what I learned in my two degrees because, you know, being an entrepreneur, there's this kind of stereotype that you're not academic. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of thought that because I was always an entrepreneur. So I was like, and well, I was a creative too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I've, I've, I always thought, oh, school was just my path because that's what one does. And I never questioned it, but actually, you know, when I realized that like, you know, there are some ways to be creative while still being in school and, you know, especially studying data, which is a very creative field more than people realize, even mm-hmm. though it's sciencey, um, that really put things together for me. Yeah. It's cool that you got into the data world from such a different like direction too. Like I'm not in data by any means, but my introduction with to data was because I loved math and science and then studied science in college and, you know, had to use R and do data stuff (laughs) because of my degree path. Um, And you really entered it from like a, you know, creative wanting to be a business owner and then just like realizing how cool data was and right kind of connecting with those math sides of yourself that had been kind of forgotten about. I don't know. I guess... You know, I'm one of those people that will not really work hard on things that I don't want to do. But if I do want, if I do want to do something, I like totally invest in it. And so when I realized that like maybe why I hadn't connected with statistics and data was only because I was intimidated or like I just wasn't really with it in undergrad, then I realized like, oh, I actually love this stuff and I love the technical aspects because there's a lot in common between like learning to play a musical instrument and, you know, learning about statistics. There Mm -hmm. is like, that's why you meet so many musicians who also are like computer scientists. That's my mom's like that. There's a bunch of other Mm -hmm. people I know like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially when you go into the realm of like sound engineering and stuff, there's just like so much overlap. I'm not that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) not that yet, but, um, but one thing you said too, just in that was kind of, um, 
about, you know, when you're really interested in something, you kind of go into it full force. And I feel like that's a really important mindset and mentality to have, like, as an entrepreneur, would you agree? Do you feel like that's helped you? Yeah. (laughs) path. I mean, nobody's going to take interest of anything new unless you do it like almost perfectly. And I don't mean perfectly not messing up. I mean, like doing it all the time, like living and breathing that because, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, there's a lot of people out there who are already doing the same kind of type of thing you're doing, you know? Mm data science is a new field. So I'm incredibly fortunate that I am this age, you know, at school going into that at that time, because really there isn't anybody doing data science media the way I am. There isn't. And so that is very cool. But, you know, like with fashion, there are tons of people who made scarves. I made my business stand out because of its connection to mental health and like producing the Mm. actual knitting of the material is therapeutic. And I would connect that to like battling anxiety Mm. and nobody was doing that, you know? So you always have to find that thing that like makes you really passionate that nobody else is doing so that you stand out because if you don't stand out, you don't make money and it's all about money. In in the business world, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's not... I don't mean to say that it's all about money because it obviously, like, you want to do something that makes you happy, that makes you excited, that connects you to the right people. But you can't do that if you don't make money because then you're just not going to be able to sustain Right, you can't sustain a business, you know, full-time at least. Yeah, so, I mean... I guess step one is being really good at what you do so that you stand out. And that, that is that focus and that passion for like, you know, doing what you like to do, finding what that is and just going full into it. But then you also have to be pragmatic and you can't get too attached to one idea because if that idea isn't what the market wants, you're going to have to pivot and change it like right away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's a complicated thing to be an entrepreneur because you have to have extreme focus and attention to detail and also think big picture and be flexible and finding that in one person is not easy for me like attention to detail being organized not my thing Mm -hmm. I have to force myself to be like that and then when I get more money coming in I'll have somebody else do it but (laughs) you know like yeah (laughs) I think like you know, when you are an entrepreneur, there's like so many qualities you have that's hard to find in one person and you work on the ones that you're not really good at. But if that's where you want to be, you're going to make it work. Yeah. I've, I've talked to my mom about starting businesses and being an entrepreneur before because she's also self-employed and she does like medicine now, but before she was in the tech world and that's where she got her start in like starting businesses was she started a tech writing company and she describes a very similar process you know of just like finding that like little niche that no one's necessarily doing and and where she said that she's like I have no idea where I got the motivation to start that business as opposed to all my other ideas that I thought were like better like I would find more fun but she was like I don't know the motivation just kind of seemed to come from somewhere maybe I had like trust in myself and you know after that it was just easy she was like it wasn't difficult to like go through the next steps because it was just like the motivation was there I don't know if you relate to that or if you feel like you know there are still steps even when you've 
you know, have that perfect idea. <laughs> I'm <laughs> smiling because <Yeah. laughs> of your mom, knowing that your mom is an astrology nut, even more <laughs> than you and I are, which yes. is scary to think that somebody is more of an astrology nut than me, but your mom definitely is. Yes. And so your mom would be interested to know that I am... My Neptune is in Capricorn, my Uranus is in Aquarius, and when you find those two things together, that is like the entrepreneur, like, basically set up. Oh, interesting. Right. So, like, people like that um, are really not capable of working in a traditional setting. Um like astrological explanation for an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, the motivation comes because I really, really get invested in what I'm creating. Unfortunately, that motivation does not stick around as often as I'd like it to. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's unique to entrepreneurs. I think that's unique to everyone. Totally. The problem is with an entrepreneur the risk is higher when that happens to you. You know, like if you lose motivation for your job that you go to every day and sign into the payroll, tough luck, you're still going to wake up and go. You know, like if I lose motivation, I just don't get paid that day, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, or that month or that what whatever. Like I just, I'm responsible, you know. So there's like, there's an extreme power when you are creating like when you are bringing in money simply from something you created yourself completely especially because like my business is online so I don't need any manufacturing I don't need any like physical product anymore you know when I was making the knit products I needed yarn and stuff like I know Mm -hmm. every single yarn company that there is and I know the people in charge and I know how to get (sighs) wholesale deals but like you know that that is an added component when I'm when I'm working online it really is just generating money from nothing it wasn't there before all of a sudden it makes money that is probably the most powerful feeling I can think of (laughs) well when it comes to at least you know, work. I mean, that. what else is more powerful than that? But then on days where, you know, I mean, you can also feel really powerless some days because you don't have that umbrella resting on you. So, you know, what every entrepreneur will tell you, which I agree with, and, you know, it might be kind of cliche, but like, you know, the good days are really good. The bad days are really bad, <laughs> you know? And like, you can't expect to have the same... You can't expect to have that same, like, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Stability, I guess, as somebody who knows how much they're going to make for the year, you know, knows how much they're going to spend for the year. Mm -hmm. That person is great, you know, that they get the hallmark of being responsible, you know, but like an entrepreneur, I just... having that stability. Yeah. Yeah. That an entrepreneur has to be okay with, having a lot of money sometimes, having not a lot of money sometimes. And motivation has to not be connected to like what you can buy, Mm -hmm. what you can do. But then at the same time, like entrepreneurs have the ability to make the most out of any other job (laughs) because of that, you know, because everything's coming from your own creation and versus the stability. So, I mean, it's weird because it definitely feels like growing a garden or growing things from the ground because like whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever 
you like whatever you're getting money from did not exist before you made it. You know, like I remember when I started my current podcast and my current business, I was in an airport lounge for American Airlines in the Miami airport, you know, <laughs> like, and I'll never forget that. And I've been mm-hmm. back through the Miami airport several times since then, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though it was only a year ago. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, like you just, that those, that relationship with yourself just, it really gets stronger. And like a lot of my friends, like are people I've met through creating a business and I don't know how, but somehow like those friendships are just so strong, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, for example, even though your listeners might not know who this is, Antonio, like my whole social, social circle in new Orleans to this very day stems from Antonio Mm. and he you know because everybody I've met I can connect back to that one freaking person Mm. everybody it's interesting when you put yourself out there as an entrepreneur like who you do meet and those friendships really do last and lead to other things yeah I feel like that's a kind of cool segue into like kind of the difference between networking (laughs) when you're an entrepreneur and also like that kind of intersection with social media too, which Mm. isn't relevant to everybody, but is certainly relevant to your business. Um, and I, I do want to go to that, but I did have one more question before we go there. Uh, just, do you think that there's a way to disconnect motivation from like business success and maybe you haven't found it, but I'm just kind of curious based on what you were talking about. You and your questions. (laughs) (laughs) I think that lack of motivation and like motivation coming in and out is independent from success because, you know, not to brag, but I mean, my business is successful and I still struggle with having motivation. And that's not because... I don't think my business is great or I lost interest. I did not lose interest, but you know, some days, you know, when you have, it's kind of like when your product is technically yourself, I mean, it isn't myself, but it is what I can do. And that is what I'm selling. I mean, if you're not feeling so hot on yourself that day, the motivation isn't going to be there regardless of how successful your business is. And on Mm -hmm. those days, you really see the difference between your business and you. Because most of the time, I don't really see that difference. And on a good day, I am the business and the business is me. And like, Mm -hmm. there is no separation and the business will feed me and fuel me. And like, I fuel the business and it's a perfect, Mm. perfect relationship. But like... Symbiotic. (laughs) Yeah, symbiotic, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Symbiotic or like just totally fluid, like perfect, you know? But on a bad day, like when I don't feel good about myself, then I notice that separation between me and the business because the business is still thriving on Twitter with like people being like, hey, what's up? We want you to speak at X and X conference. And I'm like, I am crying and panicking and taking a Xanax. Like you don't want me right now to speak at your conference, even though tomorrow, sure, you know? And so that's where the motivation is kind of totally separate from Hmm. success and I mean of course I see it from a mental health perspective I think a lot of entrepreneurs you should ask as many people that question as you can because you will get so many freaking different answers you know so yeah I think motivation is just something that there's 
been a lot more talk around, especially because of COVID. And wellness being a huge yeah, thing. Yeah, wellness and mental health being such a mm-hmm. big topic. And so, you know, it's... it's you, I mean, the thing is you have to... You have to do the things that you know will motivate you. And sometimes people don't act in their best interest. So like when, you know, the first year that I was in New Orleans, I, when I said in the beginning, and I was running the other business, say mm-hmm. Kikrani, I soon figured out that even though I technically do not have to go anywhere to work and I can work at home and it's probably easier to work at home than to carry barrels of yarn around, (laughs) I was not getting anything done. I was Mm -hmm. lying in bed and making myself depressed. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I've been going through lately after business school, then breaking my ankle, then COVID, you know, like I can't go to the freaking warehouse, which is a co-working space every single day. Like I decided I needed to Mm -hmm. but I remember the day that I decided in 2017 that I needed to go find a co-working space and guess what that's the day I met Antonio and then that's the day that like we all like everything spiral because I said you know what like this is going to be better for me yeah so motivation like you say like it, it is hard and you will have you will have lapses in motivation anyway, no matter what you do, but there are certain things you can do. So me getting myself, that's my new year's resolution. It's like, I will not work at home as the norm. You know, Mm -hmm. I will, I will leave my house. Sometimes it just takes that small thing to like that small action. And then once you get the ball running, once you're, you have a thousand followers on, on your business Instagram account or something, it's like, Right, you don't have to have as much motivation every day. Maybe kind of once it's that once you start the ball rolling. Or that something. is an incredibly good point, actually. Like I did, wasn't even thinking about that, but I have said that recently. That mm. the main work I did was building this amazing business that I built in like a few months. Mm-hmm. Now there probably isn't anyone in the data science industry that does not know what it is. And because of that, yeah, I can like literally lose motivation for a month or two and come back and people are like, Hey, what's up? Like, Mm -hmm. sure. We'll pay you because (laughs) I already created that product. That's completely marketable. So yeah, like motivation is a big deal. Like when you, when you are first starting out building everything that you need to sell. And during, like, I had to have that motivation because I, my leg was at 90 degrees like a mummy. So, like, I honestly <laughs> couldn't go anywhere. And so, like, if I'm going to feel like my life is worth something, like, I'm going to work every single day on building this business. And you had this great idea, and you, too, and you realized that there was this, like, niche that wasn't mm-hmm. being filled for, yeah. like, a media company and data but science. I'd also, but I'd also had the experience working for a media company mm-hmm. creating content for data science and even though yeah. the dynamic at that place was flawed toxic some of the things I learned during that year working for them really made a difference and what's funny now is that one of the other people working at that company also left because of the toxicity we're really good friends and he's helping me you know and like I wouldn't have met him if I hadn't worked there and like you know, he knows a bunch of stuff from working there. I know some stuff and like technically he was my boss. And so you never, like if I hadn't put in that time, like, yeah, it sucked in some ways. And like, 
a toxic work situation will haunt you for a long time. <laughs> like I've had more than one. Um, but like, I still feel like that knowledge that other people impart on you, you can really take to, you know, your net, like when you start up, you know, like yeah. maybe, maybe when I started my first business and I was like, 19 I was like I don't need any like I don't need to ever work for anyone come on I'm the best but like now I think I realize like I you know I can take from any experience what I learned not that I want to work for anyone again because I really don't but like (laughs) since I have I think that you you do learn from like being a spectator at first. Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky I had that experience. Yeah, sure. and you've also learned from some bosses too. When you do start, hi- you know, having employees, you'll maybe know like different things about. And I have had a lot of you. employees in the past for my past business. I haven't oh, had yeah. a lot of employee. I haven't had employees for this business because most of the things that I have to do um, are things I can do. <laughs> If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, am I the best person at designing things online or websites? I am so not the best web designer in the world. I am probably within the bottom five. Well, not five percent. No, your website actually looks really cute. I just, I mean, I bottom just looked at it. thirty-five percent. Let's just. Say <laughs> no, I mean, and it's good because I learned. I I did my research, and Ooh. you know. I, I found Squarespace and, you know, I put a lot of time and work in, I made the logos for my business and you know what, like I'm proud of them, but that doesn't mean I'm the most talent. It doesn't mean I'm the most talented logo designer out there. It means that I make do and I can do it. Whereas like at my last business, there were some things that I couldn't do and I did hire people. And what I ended up experiencing is that as a manager, I'm not good at delegating. I'd rather just do it on myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One major flaw that I'd like to change, like when I have to manage people in this serious a capacity, because I, I just, it takes, it's a, it's a full-time job to manage people. It's a full-time job to create content and it's a full-time job to strategize and I can't do it all. And so the first thing that I'm going to let go is managing other people because I just want them to know what to do. And I just, no, I think that's really great because I think what a lot of people get, a lot of like CEOs or whatever get wrong is they try to be the manager Mm-hmm. And like that makes sense in some in some ways because they want what they want with for their business. But I do think like being a manager is a skill, and like Definitely. if you just don't have those skills, you shouldn't be the manager of your own business. It's interesting because I ju- <laughs> I you know I applied to a PhD in operations management. Yeah, and if I don't get in this year, I'm going to keep applying because I really do want to study managers. I just mm-hmm. don't. I'm not the best manager myself, you know? And so I think, I think like if you're a manager, you can't be the ultimate visionary. Like for example, for me, like with my, with both my businesses, like I expect to be chairman instead of CEO at some point Mm. and have somebody, you know, like overseer that is not a manager. A manager is like in the thick of it with everybody, you know? And that yeah. person, that person almost shouldn't see things as big picture. Like maybe you know, kind of 
the general. No, it's like you should know your employees. I think you like have that's... to think downstream yeah. instead of upstream. Yeah, and I'm not good at that. <laughs> Which is okay. I um I definitely associate myself in a at, like I like the managerial role. <laughs> Personally, I like project managing for people, and I like you know being someone who's training people, being someone who's maybe in I'll the hire you. And, and, <laughs> no, I don't know, but no, I think it's no. just different. It's just different personalities or different like. And I like really love out of your day to day work life. Yeah, I mm-hmm. love being friends and talking to people who have that skill set because I think that that is really. You know, like man, managing people, I can manage content. I can manage, like I'm a good content manager and I'm definitely a good community manager. I can manage Twitter accounts like nobody's business. I can manage 10 at a time, you know, <laughs> but managing people is not that. Yeah. That is a different skill. So like we talked about that a lot in business school too, that mm. like managing people is one thing and then managing projects is another thing i can manage projects like nobody's business but managing people like (laughs) no well okay so again that's kind of a tangent or not a tangent uh what's the word segue into uh what i wanted to segue in before before i had that motivation question um is just like managing people or I guess kind of in the sense it's, yeah, managing social media, managing networking and like how that ties into your business. And for you, is that kind of like a chore or do you like the social media networking? I mean, I know you like the networking part of things (laughs) just because I know you personally, but, (laughs) but about the social media part of things. And I think that for me, I remember when, I remember when I started on Twitter mm-hmm. and I wasn't I wasn't getting paid for anything I get on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or anything. And I just loved it so much that I spent so much time. I spent all my time on Twitter, joining Twitter <laughs> chats, learning it like it's a skill. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, it's like, you know, if I were to learn a new social media platform, maybe that would feel like a chore. Like mm-hmm. learning TikTok, yes, that would be a chore. <laughs> learning learning how to use new systems, yes, that, that takes effort. That doesn't mean I'm not going to want to do it. It just means it takes effort. But I naturally put the effort into learning Twitter, to learning Instagram, to learning LinkedIn, and that's why I have such a big presence on there is because mm-hmm. I just genuinely love doing that. And I mean, like I said about the mental health and the motivation, Yeah. you know, like you can literally feel awful and still make business deals on Twitter from your bed, which I do quite frequently, you know? Yeah. So I feel like that is definitely a skill I have and that is something I do for other people. And mm. that's been really cool for me now to barter those skills, like Somebody will do some kind of operations management for me. I'll do Twitter for them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the thing is, especially with COVID and everything being online and people transitioning to an online form of work, it's just, um, you know, even more important. So I really felt like I felt like when everything went online that I just became even more marketable because mm. I had already been working from home for years. I had yeah. already been, 
doing most of my work on Twitter, you know? Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how that changed with COVID kind of thing, but... I you got know, you kind of just answered that. Is it just, I, yeah, I, more people are doing that and now you've built up that More skill. people are doing it and having to adjust. I don't have to adjust. I can help mm. people adjust and that in itself is something that I am marketable for. Mm-hmm. So that's been really cool to like naturally be able to leverage that. And, you know, honestly leaning into the things that you're already good at is what's going to make you money in the long run anyway, mm-hmm. you know? And now, now since COVID, like, being an entrepreneur is something that a lot of people have to do. You like, if their work is not relevant anymore, I mean, this is like swept the whole world at one time without any notice. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of people have to think about being an entrepreneur. So if you've already been one, I think that, you know, there's money-making opportunities. there, consulting people onto how to be that. There's also giving back and just giving that advice for free because you know, compassion is really important, especially when we had no time to adjust. Mm. Do you ever um, become fed up with social media or networking or do you really just like really love that? I don't because I am so good at setting boundaries like with, um, you know, I, I basically, I tune out all political things on Twitter. <laughs> I, I, I have figured out how right. to make the algorithm. Sure, if somebody who tweets about cats or data science <laughs> tends to make one political comment, I'll be like, okay, I saw that. But really, like, if you don't tweet about cute animals or you don't tweet about data science, I probably won't see what you're tweeting. <laughs> So, or astrology, but I actually, no, I'm like, I actually like, I, I need to like move up astrology in my like Twitter algorithm anyway. No, I don't, I don't get fed up with social media at all. There are some days where I just don't do it. And that's usually when I'm just like going incognito, you know, which I do do. Um, but no, it's really, it's a, it's a nice outlet for me. You know, because by this time I've like made a real community in data science. It used to be a mental health community when I was doing my other business more. So, you know, I've just made like a huge community. Most of these people I've never met in person, but I feel really close to them, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I just feel like I, um, it's, it's a solace to go back to Mm -hmm. that. And yeah. And so I, I kind of know what to look at, what not to look at. Yeah, I kind of gathered just based on talking to you in the past, you know, but I'd never fully answered that or asked that question about social media. But um, just for me personally, like, I love networking. I know. You know but I really don't like networking via social media. And I've been really trying to motivate and push myself to do that more for, you know, my podcast. But. Um, also just because more things are online and Mm -hmm. because of COVID and, you know, being seen online is more what we have to do now rather than like being seen in person. Twitter is its own language. Instagram, it's its own language. The funny thing is I have more followers on Instagram than I do on Twitter. That doesn't mean I spend more time. I spend the most time on Twitter. But like Twitter takes a long time to build up that following because mm-hmm. it's all it's all centered around relationships. And so those relationships take time to build. Somebody's not just going to follow you because you're 
in, you know, their circle of friends and they just click, 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 click. They, they won't. Yeah. On Twitter, they follow you because your bio is nice. They follow you because you've talked to them, you know, because you've had a real conversation. Mm-hmm. So which, for me, yeah, like... Which is just harder to do over social media, but I feel like you've But Twitter, of- it's actually... <laughs> Twitter, it's not. It's, yeah. it's crazy to say that, but, like, honestly, I know that the friends that I met on Twitter through data science, if I told them that I was in a really compromised situation, they would help me, Mm -hmm. you know? Because there's that real connection there. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone like that on LinkedIn or Instagram. but on Twitter. Twitter is where, but you know, can I say, can I say confidently that that's the case for everyone? No. Yeah. I just feel like Twitter is an amazing, amazing platform for making relationships and also for getting money, for monetizing those relationships because, like, you know, that's not a guarantee. You know, you mm-hmm. can make relationships and they give you no money. Twitter's a pretty easy conversion. That's interesting. There have been times where... At 2 a.m., I just start... Well, I'm usually up at 2 a.m. At, like, 4 a.m., I happen to be up... And I'm just like, ugh, I can't go back to sleep. And I just will work instead. And I'll just send out like a spam message, not spam, but I'll send out a message like on Twitter to my DMs, like, you know, through my DMs on Twitter. And I'll get like a $500 contract the day later because that's what Twitter is. Like, I've always heard, so like somebody actually from New Orleans, I forgot who she works for. It was like somebody in the nonprofit world, and she said that Twitter is like a cocktail party, and that's uh-huh. true. It really is. Yeah. Like, Twitter is a cocktail party. You kind of yeah. like travel around whatever you say because you know it's only like, you know, a limited amount of characters. You can just be like, Honestly, like, I don't know if you know, you know, Tim Rick Gabriel, who got, she got, um, resignated. Hmm. That's a new word. Anyway, um, I literally, since we do have friends in common, because I did have a lot of, like, Howie Power guests on my podcast this season, um, I messaged her and I was like, hey, tell your story on my podcast. She goes, uh, I was like, at Sophia Noble was on it. That's her friend. I know that's her friend. I know she knows. She goes, okay, here's my signal. <laughs> oh. And like, you know, I, it's like Twitter breeds confidence because you're saying so little. Hmm. So like, you know, the more you say, the more you kind of show insecurity. Hmm. So with Twitter, I'm like, hey, be on my podcast. Hey, give me $2,000. Hey, sponsor <laughs> my podcast. Hey, huh. I have a podcast. You know, like, that's all you need to say. Yeah. And that's why Twitter, I think, is a good moneymaker. It does breed confidence, and it's very efficient. And efficiency is key. I don't... I'm technically (laughs) on Twitter, but what you're describing is really making me think of my, like, high school Tumblr days, (laughs) which weren't monetized. It wasn't a business at all, but... But it could be. For me, Tumblr was the one social media throughout high school that like meant a lot to me and I had people on that granted I had maybe like 300 followers or something but they were like everyone I I didn't know nobody I knew right and so I had connections I had connections from Tumblr where I had like 
they were never they were never good friendships like I hear some people describe like wow I found my best friend who lives in five states over from Tumblr but I definitely had that I had conversations that were ultimately like maybe for me it was it was more on the perspective of like closeness than it was um business related but you can't it, separate. what you're describing is like reminding me of that, I guess, of just like, oh wow, making, you can't separate. You, know? bi- you can't separate business and personal. Then. And it's funny because I definitely, through my work, really like I've gotten very close to a lot of people who that I've worked with, and some of those people are like, this person is business, this person is personal, this person is mm. business, and I'm like then you're a stunting your freaking self. Not cliche advice. Some some of the advice, like every entrepreneur will tell you this, they won't. Like, honestly, it's a, it's a, it's a two part thing. So like you, you make the relationships knowing that the relationships will make you money, but you can't care about that because if you care even just a little bit, you won't, the people will see right through. And so honestly, like the reason I think I do so well as an entrepreneur is because I don't, I have compassion and I don't care really if anyone makes me money and then they end up doing so because they know that I'm going to come and deliver, you know, like I'm going to go to their conference, I'm going to go to their place and I'm going to deliver. And so, you know, I do do them a favor and then we like party after and then they ask me again and that's just (laughs) how it is. And that's living life for me. Like my work is my life, but not in an unhealthy way. It's like actually like been necessary. Yeah. Well, I think that is kind of the beauty of networking and it's, you know, I haven't had like a big corporate job or anything, but I think a lot of people are like, Oh, networking. And it's like, why is, why is that the mentality towards networking? Like, and you're right. I think maybe part of it is because people try to separate the everything so much, but it's like, in reality, networking is just it's meeting that, people that you vibe with. It's that, but it's also like, if you think about it, if you work for a big corporation and you're networking, any people you meet or any qualities that like you, like anything you're doing, your employer will take credit for, you know, like, mm. and I know what that's like, like when I was creating a podcast, for my previous employer for a few episodes. I'm really glad I did that because I got really good experience. Mm -hmm. But am I going to lie and say that it didn't bother me that like I was doing all the freaking editing and everything, getting the guest, doing this, and that they were, you know, that's their podcast? Yeah, that bothered me. It wasn't as necessary. Like it wasn't as important as just doing it for them because I did believe in the business and it was a startup. But, like, it feels a lot better to network when you get 100% of the benefits, you know? Mm. Yeah. If you're networking on behalf of somebody else, it just doesn't feel the same. Mm. I think. Yeah. I guess my experience, my, like, main job experience was my AmeriCorps. And that was with a nonprofit, right? I did that for nine months. So, again, that's not, like, I've been in, like, two office jobs since graduating. And that was one of them. And networking for them, like, I mean, that felt really good, you know? But that was also, like, uh, the benefit that... The benefit of my networking is, like, getting more trees planted in New Orleans, which is way different than just, like, oh, this business makes more money or something, you know? So it did... um, 
And then I do think that like any connections that I made through networking through with Soul, with the organization I was working for, also are my connections still, you know, and I can go back and so I, I think there's like an interplay, but I can see what you mean too about that, how that they can like kind of Yeah. I don't know, get in the way or I mean I think you have to like I have never seen networking as not social. I've never curbed who I am, I, I wouldn't say, like, I, I guess I'm always networking and I'm always being social at the same time because anyone you meet can take you to the next level in your life. Anyone you meet can do you that. You never know when an opportunity right. is And so arise. you always yeah. act in a way that benefits yourself, that benefits other people, you know, but, like, you don't expect any return, you know, because when you do... People won't invest in you. You know, it's it's a it's totally like a it's a game. It's a, yeah. it's a game, but it's it's weird because you play the game and then at the same time have real compassion underlying all of that, and it's that it's that combination that really has it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm skeptical of anybody who would you know get in a business deal or like create some co-thing with somebody and it's like just for the business or just for the money. Like th- that would make me really skeptical of that person in general versus somebody who'd like ge- genuinely like somebody, like someone's personality and like somebody as a person and wants to, you know, like co-create something because they like them and, you know, who cares about what the the, like it's not a popularity contest or it's I guess I you mean, know and I'm like I would be skeptical of I, I don't know like you know someone who's just like using using something or using someone. or casting the net through wi- too wide like yeah. honestly when I go to networking events I expect to have fun at the same time you know if I talk to someone for a while and I don't feel like we're going to be interested in each other's work I will say Hey, nice to meet you. Like, bye. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll <laughs> delicately exit, you know, and move on yeah. to the next person I want to talk to. Are social situations really different? Like, is dating really different? Like, it's all kind of, you know, like, definitely be open to everybody you meet. If it doesn't feel like it's going to benefit you, if it doesn't feel like it's going to benefit them, you, you go on. Usually at networking events, I do end up meeting maybe three people that could be a lasting connection. Um, and that's what I, cause I've been to so many freaking conferences pre COVID and I've been to a lot of online conferences since COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like if I can come away with two relationships that I think are going to last, then I did a good thing. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I do, you know, cool. Um, well, the last thing I really wanted to talk to you about was just this idea of success or like dealing with this idea of success and how that changes your mindset maybe when it comes to business or, um, you know, I guess to success means different things if you're in a more entrepreneurial realm versus just a random office job that you have. And I'm kind of just curious maybe how you define success and just like how you deal with that idea of success. I actually really love that question. (laughs) And I love when people ask it at conferences. Mm -hmm. I love like hearing 
anybody talk about their definition of success. I think that that is something that every time you ask the same person, you're going to get a different answer from them. Every time you ask anyone, you're not going to get their full answer, you know, Um, because that is such a complex thing, you know. Yeah, it is very personal, but I do think, too, right now, a lot of people try to define it as this, like, achieving success, you know, or something that is more universal. I think what COVID has done, personally, is, it's like, maybe before COVID, success was defined by a certain lifestyle, certain degree of appearances, certain, like, mental state certain way of acting now a lot of those things aren't possible and so because all of this happened it's not even covid itself it's showing that the world can change at any moment and that you have to be ready Hmm. so which is something that entrepreneurs are very used to yes because as an entrepreneur your world changes every day and i think I was used to that. Honestly, the pandemic has not changed. It hasn't uprooted anything for me. It has been really great to have it uprooted for other people so that other people maybe get more insight into themselves, maybe understand, you know, in a way that like Mm -hmm. they didn't before because they had just a rhythm and a pattern, Mm -hmm. but life doesn't go that way, you know? So I think, I think it's really cool to see COVID change just the way that people view their lives like your life will change and it could change in an instant and then success is being able to be adaptable hmm. really you know is that kind of your definition i guess so of success yeah, yeah to be able to change and to be able to be okay with that really <laughs> yeah yeah because the world is ever changing and and i think that's an interesting like part it's it's at least a part of a definition I think with success because you're always successful if you're able to adapt and from my like biological perspective of ecology and evolutionary evolutionary biology which is what I studied like that is what defines success yeah that is what defines success in the biology world is literally being able to adapt evolution is adaptation and if organisms couldn't adapt, they literally would not continue along the process of being a species. And so I think that's really cool that, you know, just kind of maybe off the cuff, your definition of success is adaptation because literally that is how the world of evolution works. (laughs) If you don't have adaptation, you don't have evolution and you don't have the continuation of a species. I mean, in like a microcosmic way too, like even before, like we're talking about like a huge world scale change, like with like business what is marketable? Like I also worked, I don't, I think you know this. I worked in the stock market. Like I worked as a junior trader for a while. So like I know a bit about like stock markets and what changes and what, you know, um, makes you money. What doesn't make you money, how to bet against the market, all Mm -hmm. of those things. And so I think like from a business perspective, what, no matter, there, there doesn't have to be a pandemic, like what you, what you sell is not going to be marketable forever. 
and you learn to pivot, the thing is most people don't expect change. Most people don't think anything will change. And so they aren't ready for it. Um, I think you always have to be ready for it. I personally hope that a lot of people have changed their mindset to realize that now because on a large scale level, everybody had to adapt in a certain way. I did not have to adapt as much as most people. And that wasn't just because I worked online. It was because like literally, and you know this as my friend, like my close friend who knows all of this, like I had been in bed for four months with my ankle. Then I come out, go tear up the world for like three weeks and then it's COVID. Yeah. So like, I'm like, oh, back to this, except I can actually walk around now, Mm -hmm. you know? So for me, like COVID wasn't as big a deal because I had just been pent up for a really long time. Um, but I you think were like lucky that you had that time to, I know my mom's so grateful because my mom yeah. knows that I'm always like ready to fall off the edge. And so she's like, thank God she had preparation, <laughs> you know? yeah. but she doesn't even really get it. You know, she doesn't know that, you know, I, I think, yeah, being adaptable is being successful, but I like your connection to the evolution because that does make sense. I just, you know, even, even when things aren't going wrong, the market will change. So you do just like, like GameStop literally being controlled by Reddit users oh what, yesterday. <laughs> I, I did. That did come to mind. I thought that was as you, in your response. Yes. Yeah. Well, I thought that I, I've been like, looking at just kind of tying that into this idea of success too like looking at these reddit users literally using a reddit um thread to control the stocks and then there's all these people being like they shouldn't be allowed to do that da 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 Whereas, like, stock traders have been doing that to a minuscule degree since the beginning of this of the trade market or, like, whatever. And so this idea of success is often tied to money, too. And so I think... Money goes away. And also money yeah. is kind of, unfortunately, money is not even as secure as we think it is, you know? Yeah, like, I think... I think this whole yeah. thing with the Cryptos. Reddit users. Yeah, there's cryptocurrency now. There's banks that have money, but do they really have cash money? Well, yeah, that's what <laughs> like, I was going to say. That's what I was going to say yeah. is this whole situation with the Reddit users creating this huge stock market increase. It, like, brings into the more mainstream consciousness that money is a concept. I hope that people learn that anything could change and that like if you're not thinking about your next steps if you're not thinking about how you can be adaptable in your business or your life like you don't have a leg to stand on I think a lot of people viewed success as a pedigree or even a birthright or even you know and that's just not the case you know so yeah I think um flexibility is a big deal that's a lovely metaphor. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I've loved like re- uh, just exploring your mind and your brain in relation to all these concepts of motivation and success and entrepreneurship. And I would just like to end uh, just talking about like your favorite parts of your data podcast, you know, or your favorite things about data. And then just talking about if you have any 
future plans? Um, do you have any future data projects or are you planning on staying in like the communication data realm and are those really separate for you? And yeah. No, those are good questions. I think um, my favorite part about I'm going to start with the podcast because the yeah. favorite part about data is a bigger question. Yeah. So my favorite part of the podcast is when is honestly like when we've taken breaks and talked about other things, I do that with people. So like, because I have confidence as you do too in my editing abilities. And I'm like, if you want to talk about life for like 30 minutes, I'm going to edit it out. I'm cool. You know, I've had people like, my favorite parts of doing data foam are when like the podcast ends, I say I'm stopped recording. We're on this online platform. I mean, this person is not in the Western hemisphere, you know, <laughs> and we just stay on the phone or on the TriCast platform that I use um, for like maybe 30 more minutes, maybe an hour. I'm just talking about stuff, you know, that stuff will never be recorded. That stuff will never ever mean anything other than like building a relationship mm -hmm. and like at the time do I know if that relationship is going to lead to a business deal I don't think I really care at that point you know I just want to keep talking to this person off the record really you know thank them for their time and you know just truly engage not be like oh thank you next, like, thank you next, I'm going to record someone else now, no, like, yeah. you know, the time that somebody spends telling their story, especially because my podcast has a lot of um, career stories, mm -hmm. I think that that often brings up a lot of, uh, like, trauma for people that they haven't realized they had, or, like, you know, when people are telling their career stories, they come across things like that they like one of my favorite episodes of my podcast was season one um her name's gina she's total r whiz but because her mom was an alcoholic and she succumbed to like uh substance abuse as well she dropped out of college um she did not finish her degree um somehow she got like an associates, I think. And mm -hmm. she ended up getting a PhD and now she's a professor. <laughs> that was one of the times where we stayed on. That's what I was thinking about. Like that we stayed on the phone for 30 minutes to an hour after, mm -hmm. um, because which this makes total sense to me because you just love connection I and do. so you I know do. I imagine even though your podcast is about data you're like my favorite part of my favorite part is, is the seeing connection, you know because and to me like you know my whole family's academics like on my dad's side I mean, so my dad's dad was the Supreme Court Justice of Texas for years, right? And then on my mom's side, like, my grandmother, who recently passed, like, worked with NIH and NASA. So, like, I mean, come on, right? Like, I have pretty high standards when it comes to all of that. And so when I see somebody that was able to achieve that without without anything, you know, just like a clear path, you know, my favorite thing is that when you listen to all of my episodes of my podcast, you'll hear, I didn't take the traditional approach to academia, you know, and I'm like, that's uh -huh. why I picked you, you yeah. know, but 
really like my favorite part is just being able to connect with people, make their career stories feel heard, their stories, you know, like you spend most of your time at work. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then in terms of data, I just feel like numbers can often tell a story better than words. Like, mm. Before, that is so true. Yeah, I yeah, that. yeah. Before, I mean, that's the point of your podcast, basically. So. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Before I came to New Orleans, um, I was looking at... I, w- I had made a connection with the uh, um, Institute of Women's Studies, Women's and Ethnic Studies um, here, and I was very surprised to see that as a nonprofit they had an office like in the central business district because in new orleans nonprofits are actually celebrated whereas in new york like it's not the case Mm -hmm. and so you know i i was like pretty intrigued by that then they released a data study um and this was when i was still living in new york but about to move they Mm -hmm. they had they released the data study about like who it, it was about housing safety um and they were saying that like you know in terms of domestic violence like x amount of you know girls feel safe at home x amount of boys feel safe at home people feel unloved people feel suicidal mm-hmm. all of these feelings put into a percentage and normally you know people could say that that you can't put feelings into a number but um, mm. somehow they did that study well enough that reading that really hit me and mm-hmm. I felt that that was real and so it's interesting because that never really left me mm. um, but I hadn't been to business school yet right right <laughs> yeah right and so then when I went to business school and I fell in love with statistics I started to understand that, you know, even like studying simple things in statistics, like a type two, type one error, you know, like whether a guilty man goes free, whether an innocent man gets put in prison, those are the errors. Mm. That's a big deal for people. Mm. And especially in New Orleans, that's a big deal for people. Emotions are a big deal for people too. Like what you just described is like feeling the difference unsafe, between feeling, feeling unloved. unsafe. You can and, put an emotion on that. You can put a percentage that could, on that. Yeah. And because of that, that could people be will own, listen. And I'm not yeah. sure that that's a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not sure that like hearing a percentage is better than hearing a story at that point, you know? Um, so it's funny, like last year at the R studio conference, Mm -hmm. I ended up talking to, I mean, we were out, like we were out after the conference and I ended up talking to somebody about that study and they started crying Mm. and I was like, okay, you know, like I just told you like why numbers can really make an impact on actual people's lives and you started crying, Mm -hmm. you know, so that must be a real thing, you know, like if you're faced with like a percentage, maybe it's not an individual person's story, maybe it's not, but like if it's an average, if it's something, like it still can make you feel something. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I love data. (laughs) Yeah. As you were talking too, I I was just thinking of, I don't know the exact 
statistic or the data set of, but just like the fact that what at least 50% of marriages end in divorce or something too it's like that's another thing that's like a data set and you can feel like super emotionally removed from it but then when you look at like each individual story you know or you look at the big picture of like or wow, you take that the many time like i wasted you take time like i wasted to look into why you know yeah and it's like if you don't have that data if you don't have those numbers you don't know what to look into right to some degree and and you also like when you look at data too i think it's important to look at you know how many people are responding to the study and just to look at the numbers of that one group of people are all experiencing together and I guess that's why I thought of like divorce or something it's just I like that because I'm about to get married and so that's oh you know whatever that I'm thinking about that number <laughs> I think you know, and it's I said just like, oh wow, dear don't everyone <laughs> leave that <no>. out <laughs> um, but it's just like a number that you can be like wow all of these people are experiencing this together just about the same as like a book being popular or something like everyone's reading this book at the same time like and I mean I I just said something, you summarized something about data, like, the, the way, like, you said that so profoundly, too, you know, mm-hmm. like, that's why conversations need to happen, but yeah. also, I think, like, you know, when it comes to, you have to be bold enough to make those statements about emotions and put them into numbers, like, you know, you have to take a risk there, because, like, if I say, you know, X amount of people feel unloved at home in this neighborhood, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm making a bold statement hoping that somebody will listen, somebody Mm. with power will listen and actually want to make a change, you know? And so that's why I'm in the best career I could be in because, um, you know, like I can, I can be persuasive and I can make people listen but I think something about the numbers, like what and what you said about collective experience, is really mm-hmm. important. So, yeah, I and then I, I heard what you said about um, media versus data. I think like the whole right brain, left brain, my ability to be a media consultant or a media professional or whatever, and be a data science person. That's like powerful. So I think that intersection is where I need to be at the same time, like in order to keep up with these people that I'm interviewing who are like at the top of the data science field. I mean, these people, these people are insane. Like they're inventing packages mm-hmm. in coding. I mean, they, they are coding. They're inventing the next way of coding the people I interview to keep up with them. I have to keep coding in R. I have to keep coding in Python. I have to keep up with the next language. I have to, I mean, honestly, like, I, I I have to be an innovator myself to com- to like be able to talk to them, um, and that's part of being a journalist anyway. You have to like kind of learn. Yeah. You have to learn the expertise of the person that you're interviewing when they've been an expert for years. Like you really have to do that. That's why journalism is the same as coding because like coding is always changing as well, and you have to become the expert of the next new language you do. So. For me, I like researching crime in New Orleans. Um, I am working with this one data set 
And I had the privilege on my podcast of, mm-hmm. of interviewing the person who's in charge of making those data sets. Oh, I think you told me about I that. know! I'm like, dude, like, I know. I'm like, yeah. talking to her about all these data sets. She's like, I'm glad somebody's looking at them. I'm like, yes, you have no idea. Um, <laughs> I know. That's because like, it's literally me, yeah. like, with my headphones, with my computer, like, in some dark bar with a glass of wine, <laughs> looking at this data set. And, yeah. Yeah, and you're anyway. just like delving into it yourself. So, you know, personal project fully, put, right? Yes, but then because of who I am with mm-hmm. the media side, people listen and they want to publish it. So yeah. I have to make sure I have no errors. Right. <laughs> but I am looking into um, like the use of force by mm-hmm. cops on victims and the things that I found are very interesting um like for example like for me I get into the technicalities of everything so for me like it's like a good data scientist and then I have to and then I have to visualize it and yeah I mean I have a lot of good visualizations that I made which is interesting because that's like art so like I get to apply that but Things that I realized just from like sitting at my computer going like, you know, pressing buttons. Literally looking at the data. And the I know I know I yeah, That's for crazy. for for ten yeah. years too, like from twenty wow. from um two thousand and seven to twenty seventeen. Yeah. Um No, it's it's amazing yeah. how data can really tell you so much and and I think it's becoming more mainstream. As much as in our uh current political discourse people try to discredit science. Um, I do think it's still becoming more mainstream to be like, no, what's the primary source? Let's look at the data, you know, and and actually taking hold of that. And even though there might be a minority of people who are... Who I'm don't understand let, how to find the data or look at the real data and then real numbers. I'm going like, to let you quote me on this. It's yeah. not necessarily going to be the most popular opinion, but uh, I don't... So for me, I my goal is data literacy. I think that everybody should be able to process the data themselves and see for themselves if they feel like the data is, you know, what... Um, Mm-hmm. is actually true or not. Mm-hmm. I can do that, you know, and I do do that. But not everybody has the skills or the resources or the access to do that. And mm-hmm. so then we're at the mercy of the media who's never going to tell us, like, you know, the full story. I don't... I think a lot of people could have the skills of, like, speaking data, you totally. know? Yeah. Speaking code. The first you don't, time... You shouldn't need it in, interpreted o- for Exactly. You. Like, yeah. the only reason I wanted to learn to code is because I didn't want to be irrelevant and I didn't want to be left behind. Then, as a wonderful side effect, I realized I loved it. I would have done it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, like, I like it. Woo! But, like, I would have done it anyway because yeah. I think everybody needs to know how to work with data because we do have data and we're relying on other people like we're 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 giving other people the chance to say that oh I know I I work with the data these people don't so I can manipulate them but if everybody Mm -hmm. used data as a weapon and started like doing it themselves then you know maybe we'd all have better we'd all be better informed at least I think yeah well, yeah, the data and the numbers can be so powerful and they can tell you so much. And 
Mm. You know, I think that is what can fuel the skepticism of it because mm. it is so powerful. There can be a lack of trust in yes. that. And but at the same time, like I came through, so I came to data science through statistics. Mm -hmm. So I know that, you know, there's a big, like you insist in statistics, you always have samples. Mm -hmm. Like you never have a whole population. Right. It's impossible. That you know? would be crazy cool if we could get like a full population sample. Right? But somebody, <laughs> somebody's always absent, you know. <laughs> like, <Right>. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm thinking of school when it's like, you know, you survey like a class and mm -hmm. treat them as the whole population. But right. somebody was absent that day. You know, mm -hmm. somebody was off their game that day. Mm -hmm. Somebody, <laughs> you know, like you it'll can't, you, you can sample. never get, yeah, yeah you can never, never get the population, which is why like, when you're working with the normal distribution and you're working with the curve, now I'm getting really technical, but when you're working with that, then, um, like 30 is technically, well, 10. So there's 30 is the normal distribution standard sample size, but 10 is like the sample size when you're dealing with, um, you know, just like a generic population. And so, any of us could technically do a study because we all know 10 or 30 people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so if we know that if we know 10 or 30 people that have been through a certain experience, we can actually do a study ourselves. We don't need to wait for other people. Yeah. It's cool. Data is really powerful. <laughs> and I think that I would love for there to be overall data literacy, as you call no, it. No, like all of all of that's that is what my podcast is about, and like a mm -hmm. lot of people are talking about data literacy. Yeah, a lot of people pay a shit ton of money for me to talk about data literacy. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's important. I mean, again, going back to this idea of like. Um, but yeah, I've thought oh of it God. as like, you know, a, a lack of trust in institutions, right? And so it's the same thing as like a lack of trust in data. And if more people are literate in it and understand that data, it'll just be more powerful and it'll honestly like allow us to create a better society, I think. Like the more there's data on things and, you know, like there's definitely some taboos of what you can study and what you know, data you can acquire because of certain studies and maybe right now that's valid to have some things that are taboo to collect data on. I agree. But, you yeah. know, like at some point in the future, I can imagine a society where there isn't a taboo against collecting data on certain things. Um, I think because what it we're, is. Because we're all working towards a better society and the more data we have the better the society and so I think like starting that conversation and starting the literacy is probably the first step I think what it is too <laughs> is like I remember making a PSA right at the beginning of COVID um, yeah. because it was a little bit scary when a lot of people were posting studies about COVID data um mm. Mm -hmm. Because people's emotions were so high. And if you read anything, anyone's going to believe it and freak out. So I think... Uh, but the solution for that is so freaking easy. Say how you did your study. If I say that I went around to 30 people that I know and talked about 
X issue, and that is my sample, and here's what I came up with, take that at face value, mm -hmm. you know? Say like, okay, you know, she had a large enough sample size to maybe, maybe emulate a population, but it's not going to make me freak out about anything. That wasn't the case when people are freaking out about COVID. Yeah. And so, I mean, honestly, like, I'm in such a microcosm when it comes to data science. I know pretty much everyone in the industry, you know? And so if people are novices posting, like, these studies... And pretending to be epidemiologists, that's not necessarily productive because it's going to, you know, really make people panic. But, I mean, if you just say what your study is, I think, I think that's, a different, that's a different game. It's like having a personal blog versus misreporting at the Wall Street Journal, you know? <laughs> Those are two different things. Yeah, yeah. I love how it was a journalism example that you gave. Your undergrad is showing. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, data viz and like posting those results is journalism. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, um, the intersection is not very far. I just didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's crazy like how even two years makes a difference because one of my best friends was in the same like program with me at Northwestern in journalism and she learned JavaScript. She was learning to code. Hmm. And when I left, we had just started like a little bit of a coding, but we didn't really know why. And now, oh my God, if you're a journalist, you better know how to use JavaScript and CSS and all of these hmm. like front end, you know, if you're going to be a web developer or if you're you know, a data visualization expert, you are a journalist. You have to be able to communicate your results and write well. Yeah, we talk about that in the science world too, of just like science communication. Speaking of data, Chris, my boyfriend and I were looking at this visualization of this Twitter data set that was about um, Trump, like it was about Trump supporters versus not Trump supporters, or it was basically a visualization of people who were like thought that the election was a fraud and people who didn't. And honestly, it was it was I bet it was beautiful data. But we, I had to go into the scientific paper, and even then, I still couldn't figure out the questions that I wanted to know about this visualization. They had separated things into communities, and I was like, what are the communities that they're separating out? But and they used was, a really good color palette. They, yes, they, it, was a, it was a great color palette. But it was hard to find, and from my science background, and, you know, like Chris as well, we were just like, what are they, what are these communities? What are they trying to pull out of this data set? And I thought it was a beautiful data set and a beautiful study, but it was just like, not, it wasn't data literacy in the, in the way that I would love for it to happen. I mean, we all write blogs <laughs> at this point. Like we don't like, and I'm saying we, because I am a data scientist. So I do post yeah. visualization. Like my last, so my last big visualization was about, um, access to pharmacies in all of the districts in New Orleans mm -hmm. because I thought that that was relevant and it is. Um, 
<laughs> and then I posted three different visualizations mm-hmm. because one of them, like all of them were different. So one of them had the map superimposed. One of them was just color coded and the other one didn't have any color coding, but just had points of mm-hmm. where the pharmacies were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that if I had just posted those three cool I ended up writing a like a, a not too long paragraph, but like mm-hmm. a paragraph about each of them saying why why all of them are different, communicating the same information. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like people who are really data literate realize that you have to like write a whole blog <laughs> post about it to like really tell people why you chose to structure it this way and how if you structured it a different way people would interpret it a different way yeah yeah no and and again I like the reason I brought up this example is just because I was surprised that in people who were part of it was like part of a Cornell something something data lab like even even in the scientific paper which I'm very well versed to read scientific papers I couldn't find what I was looking for yeah and it's because like, they didn't tell you how they got the information or they did. They told they they said how they got the information, but the the detail that I that I wanted just wasn't there and Cheers. and I think and I think that the reason for that is because they were trying to present the data in a very um pop pop way, right? They wanted well, this pretty It's way that they're they, lazy. They think it's they, enough. Just this is a random example. And that's why Twitter but, is good because often yeah. like Twitter, somebody will post a visualization and somebody else will comment a question and then they'll clarify and you have right. a whole thread that kind of does clarify it by the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I bet that could have happened. Like it was literally... Twitter is a nerd's paradise. Yeah, I mean the visualization <laughs> that I'm talking about was literally about Twitter hashtags, you know, and it just like for some reason it didn't give me what... what I wanted to get out of the data set and you know so part of me does wish I had maybe more data data ability to be like let me just take the raw data and get out of it what I want I want to answer this question you know and 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 you can (laughs) you know are yeah but that is amazing about data literacy too if the more literate everyone is the more you can look at a data set like the one I'm talking about and be like wait this isn't answering the question I want to get but I can use the raw data and ask it you really can because a lot of times um, it's amazing a lot of times people post on Twitter (laughs) with the raw data set so people can go back and they also post their code yeah Yeah. it's amazing and if you want to go down the rabbit hole you totally can (laughs) anyway so I love that you're creating more data literacy with your podcast and I wanted to leave some ample time at the end to to talk about data instead of just your amazing journey of self-employment and entrepreneurship. So, um, do you have anything, any quote, any whatever that you want to leave the podcast episode with? Or, well, I am a journalist, so I do like sound bites. <laughs> um, no, I feel like you're doing a good thing. I think that you know the whole mentality I didn't know that that that's what you were gonna do I think mentality um, yeah I think that's a really good angle I think you should keep doing that and I think (laughs) that 
you know, when it comes to like, if this conversation has made you want to go into the data and manipulate it yourself, then that is <laughs> everything I would ever want. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've loved having you on. Our conversation has been slightly disjointed in, in certain moments <laughs> just by um, some random people walking through. But um, I'm happy we got to record it finally. And I love hearing your thoughts and perspective on all these things, especially motivation and and especially like just hearing about your knitting I know. Yard business, you know, and how that really factored into your whole story. That was... That was really interesting. That's so. like a large percentage of my whole story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, I'll probably say this a little better in the when I create an ending. But you know, you can follow Danielle on Twitter, on Instagram. Do you want to give your okay? Give your well, links? <laughs> on Instagram, it's at Nelpire. N e l p i r e. And on Twitter, it is at Dikayo Data, which is D I K A Y O Data. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs>that's the end i don't feel the need to say danielle's handles again i feel like she did a good job and spelled it all out for all y'all so um yeah i hope you enjoyed this episode it's uh maybe a little different than other ones that i might make since it's more focused in like career in the business realm which isn't my go-to um but I do have some exciting ones coming up that I'm gonna start editing and try to pump out a few this month considering I kind of skipped out on two months um all about let's see travel yoga and culture and it specifically tied to New Orleans um my second home that I what I consider my home, really, that I am definitely missing dearly. I'm missing all of you New Orleans friends. I love you, and I miss you. Uh, anyway, so I'm excited to listen to that episode back and start editing it and just ball my eyes out about how much I love New Orleans. Um, no, but really, it's a good episode, and um, look out for it. But thank you so much for listening to this one. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any you know, comments or just want to chat with me about some of these concepts, I encourage you, encourage you so much just to message me on Instagram, on Facebook, or uh, you can email me, whatever you want to do. However you can reach me, uh, just reach me. I'm on every social media platform. All right. Well, um, thanks so much for listening, and uh, I, I hope you'll tune in for the next one. Thanks. Bye.